Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. And in this episode, I got to interview Michael Ruhlman. Uh, for those of you who don't know, um, and I'm sure if you went to the CIA or if you've encountered any of his readings, you definitely know who he is. He is an author. He is an author of food. Uh, he writes a lot about um, food-related uh, topics, uh, starting out with his uh, biggest book. I mean, he's written a couple books before this, but The Making of a Chef was the one that really put him on the map in terms of authors on food writing. And since then, he's released a lot of books. Uh, he's released The Soul of a Chef, The Reach of a Chef. He helped with the French Laundry Cookbook. Uh, he has a book on charcuterie. Uh, he has a book all about eggs. I mean, the list goes on. Michael Roman has done so much in terms of culinary writing uh, for the industry that I can't even, like, begin to just... I, I can't begin to just, like, tell you how much he's done. And if you haven't read his books or you don't know who he is, definitely check him out because his writing is some of the best writing I've ever read, not just on food, but in general. Uh, he's a very talented author. He's able to convey messages in ways that are very personal, but also it's just like easy to understand and easy to grasp. And he's just a very, um, he, the way he describes things is very eloquent and he's very disciplined in his writing and he's able to put out an honest opinion on something and you're able to just uh, accept it for what it is. And I really enjoyed it, especially when uh, reading about the Culinary Institute of America through the making of a chef. A uh, quick backstory before I got to college, my dad got me the making of a chef about three months before I went to school. And I read that book and it totally prepared me for what was to come. I mean, the good, the bad, uh, in terms of bad, in terms of like the workload and what's expected out of you. Uh, he, he just prepared me. The book really had a large impact on me. And I read The Reach of a Chef and The Soul of a Chef, uh, the other two in that chef trilogy, which we talk about on the podcast, on ways to and from New York City on different stages or on train rides back from uh, Buffalo to New York City or to the Hudson Valley for school. So Michael Roman definitely for me is one of my idols in terms of food writing. Uh, I have a passion for writing and reading. I read a lot of books and I've, uh, I'm trying to write as much as I can. Um, but he's someone who I definitely look up to, not only as just someone in the food industry, but in, the, in just being an author. Uh, he's definitely an idol of mine and I was so happy to have him on. Uh, we were able to get a half hour conversation in, in which we talk about how he even got up, like into food writing. And he gives some really good advice if you're into the art of food media, food writing, or I mean, if you're just into anything, I think he gives solid advice. Uh, it was a very interesting conversation. And he does um, a really good job just telling us the whole kind of story behind it all. And, you know, I, like I said, I can't thank him enough for being on. It definitely shows a lot of validation when I get to have on the people that I look up to. Um, and I know Michael didn't know me, didn't know me before coming on the podcast, but um, you know it meant a lot, and it truly was a special time to be able to talk to him, someone who I've looked up to for about four years now. So thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. It truly meant a ton. Thank you, Lion Coat Nation, for tuning into this episode. And yeah, if you haven't read his books, definitely go. I would honestly start with the Making of a Chef. It's my favorite one of his, uh, but he has so many out there on different. So many different topics, and he has more to come. <laughs> so definitely check him out. Michael, thank you so much, and here we go. All right, well, Michael, welcome to the podcast. If you just want to go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, and, you know, I guess some of the books you've written and all that. Hi, uh, Ray. It's good to be here. My name is Michael Rollman. Uh, I write about food and cooking and chefs, though I've written books about all kinds of things from wooden boats to pediatric heart surgery, but it's really food and cooking that has dominated my writing life. Um, I went to the Culinary Institute of America as a journalist to see what 
you needed to know in order to be a chef. This was in the mid-90s, and the whole country started becoming really interested in the work of the chef. And I found out very quickly that you couldn't really learn. You couldn't, I couldn't write about what it meant to be a chef unless I actually became one because so many of the changes are interior. How you respond to uh, stress, how you respond to uh, responsibilities and challenges and all that. And so by the end of nine months, I, um, I was a cook. And it served, okay. me well, served me well in my writing life. So I went on from there to work with Thomas Keller at the French Laundry on his cookbook. Wrote a couple other books on chefs and cooking, and um, it's uh, you know I always call myself an accidental food writer. I didn't set out to do this. I've always loved cooking and food, um, but I didn't set out to be a food writer. In fact, when I started writing about food, there really wasn't such a thing as food writer. So the Mm -hmm. whole the whole world's changed quite a bit. Yeah, Um, are you surprised at how much food writing picked up, or what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. in a way, yes, but looking back on it, no. I mean, we finally realized that our food is making us sick, and when something that you need to survive starts making you sick, you start to pay attention, which is mm-hmm. why I think this uh, food writing really has taken off. We've recognized how, how all-important food is in our lives. It's connected to everything and helps us yeah. to connect to everything. And so, therefore, there's all kinds of opening to write meaningful stuff about food and cooking in all kinds of forms. Yeah, I agree. Um, before we get into your writing, I just want to lo- know a little bit more about you, like where you're from, what food was like for you growing up, kind of when you got a general interest in food. Sure. Um, I was born in 1963 in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Uh, and back then there was, you know, it was very standard commoditized stuff at the, in the grocery store. You, you had one type of mushroom, you had three types of lettuce, um, if you even had fresh mushrooms at all, Jacques Pepin walked into a grocery store when he got here and asked where the mushrooms were, and he was pointed to the canned vegetable aisle. Wow. Um, uh, so, you know, that's how far we've come in a very short time. So I grew up there, uh, only child. Both my parents worked, so I was by myself a lot uh, when I was home. And if I wanted to eat anything before 8 o'clock when we had dinner, um, I would have to um, make it myself. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I could only survive on Pop-Tarts so long. And <laughs> I um, first made, somebody told me, a teacher, I think, in some home ec class, taught me how to make a potato and onion frittata. And so that's, I made that. I watched Julia on the television because there wasn't much else to do when you were home in a, um, uh, by yourself in the early 70s. And um, uh, I'd watch Julia and I'd go cook what Julia was cooking because she made it sound so easy. Yeah, and, you know, it was easy. And um, that's one of her gifts. She made it feel like anybody could do it. And you could make mistakes and still go on. So uh, so I always cooked for myself. And I didn't find until later that my, my friends thought it was really bizarre that I could, you know, would make food that I knew how to make my own popcorn or cook an omelet because they didn't <laughs> know that. And because we didn't teach our kids to cook back then. Um, that's part yeah. of the problem. So we had a generation who didn't learn how to cook. And now they want to, and we we find ourselves lacking. So anyway, I went to a private boys' school that I would eventually go back 15 years later to write about um, in terms of single-sex education. I went to a boys' school. I went to the New York Times as a copy boy after Duke University, uh, then became sort of an itinerant, aspiring writer. I wrote a couple of novels, got an agent, wasn't able to publish anything. But by the time I was 30, uh, I got a book contract for the boys' school book. And then shortly after that, I got the making of a chef uh, uh, assignment. And, um, that, that really directed my course that changed my life. 
Okay. And how did uh, how did that come about, like getting the assignment? Um, I had I was living in Cleveland, and I worked for a local magazine uh, as a writer and editor, and I love to cook, and but I always use recipes. That was the only way that I could cook by reading cooking columns and cookbooks. And chefs didn't. Chefs knew something that I didn't know. And so I went out and wrote a column about chefs in Cleveland going to the kitchen and cooking with them and interviewing them while we were cooking. Um, and half the chefs I talked to had gone to the Culinary Institute of America. And so I thought when I was looking for a second book idea that, wow, this would be kind of cool if I could go to this most prominent cooking school in the country and write a book about becoming a chef. And mm -hmm. uh, that's how the idea started. It took a long time for me to talk my way into the CIA. They, uh, they thought I was trying to scam a free education. And um, <laughs> I just wanted to get a book and get out of there and move on. I had no idea I was going uh, to direct my life. I'd be writing about food um, from the day I walked in till now. Yeah. That's how, that's how that happened. Yeah, I, it's interesting to it was when I first heard about the book, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I, but then when I thought about it, I was like, how is he able to just go in and like take a course or take these courses and write about it? So, well, I was a journalist and I, you know, I'd worked for the New York Times and I um, I knew how to get in places. I knew how to use uh, my my status as a journalist to get in. Uh, but it took six months before they'd actually let me in. Uh, it was kind of harrowing. We didn't know what to do. I had to rent our house in Cleveland. We had a little baby daughter at the time. So it was kind of uh, hairy to begin with, but they ultimately said, okay, come on in. Tim Ryan uh, was in charge of that. He was VP there then. Now he's president of the CIA. And um, mm -hmm. I know they're, they're glad they, and they're, they're glad they ultimately did let me in because the, the book's done, you know, very well for them, I think. And it's an honest book. They, they deserve it. I, it was a fabulous place. I love, I love the CIA. Yeah, same. And the books are still, Every time I go in the, went into the bookstore, I was still there. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have read it, a lot of students, and I don't know they all relate to the writing. And I, there was a one story where there was like a snowstorm in the book. Yeah, that was, um, a good, that was the day that changed my life. And you were debating whether of going in or not. Like that, that for me was like, wow, like this is like the sacrifice that like chefs expect you to make or like that this industry is going to expect you to make. And before I'd never realize that so i mean that story was i know it had an impact on you but for me that was the part of the book where i was like wow like this is this is kind of a crazy industry <laughs> uh good well i'm glad i conveyed that because it is and you know that's my chef mike partis basically said look you know you're either ready to do the work or you're not if you're not we'll find somebody you can we expect people to be in here if you're not in here you, you don't count for anything you know you don't get mm -hmm. the restaurant job you don't get paid period you yeah be there you have to get there yeah just have to show up um, that, that was a big thing. That was, I mean, that's a big challenge, even in school, you know, get, especially when you have morning classes, a lot of, or not a lot, but some people like getting up early, like that's a challenge for them. They have to adjust to that. Me, I'm an early riser. So like, that wasn't a big deal, but I saw a lot of people just struggling just to get there because it was such an early like class. And then I think about like jobs in the industry. It's tough. Like the hours are not normal sure. for a lot of people. Yeah. A lot so. of them were working cooks jobs, uh, and doing a, the AM, the AM courses. So yeah, it was hard. Yeah. So, I mean, before you stated before you got into food writing, you were writing other books. Did you, obviously you probably didn't think you would be doing much of food writing, but like what other type of books did you write or what were you really, really interested in before becoming a food writer? Um, I just wanted to write about, I just wanted to be a writer. I mean, ever since fifth grade, when I wrote my first short story, I, I wanted to be a writer. That's what I set my sights on. And I worked from age 10 in fifth grade 
to age 30 before I actually sold anything meaningfully. <laughs> um, so <laughs> 20 years of practice before I knew what I was doing. But, you know, that's, I, that's what I wanted. I wanted that more than anything. And so um, I, I worked, I wrote every day. And uh, okay. by the time I had the opportunity to write about this boys' school, um, I developed the muscles so that I was capable of doing it. As you know, Thomas Keller would say, you don't just, if you want to be a chef restaurateur, you don't just start becoming a chef restaurateur one day. You have to start thinking like a chef restaurateur when you're a prep cook. Mm-hmm. So you have to prepare yourself so that when opportunity presents itself, you're prepared to take it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I guess a question I have, this is more about writing. So ever since I was like young, I think ever since I wrote, uh, read Harry Potter, um, I wanted to be an author. I don't know, something about writing was like magical to me. And when I was in, in the fourth grade or sixth grade, I ended up writing like a little, like a, I think it was like a 110 page book, just like a, like a, it was really just Harry Potter ripoff. But then like, I always wanted to write about food and I'll write things and I will like, I'll discard them. And not really many people know I like to write. Uh, what's your advice maybe to a cook or a chef who wants to get into writing like me, but is not sure, like, even if their work's even good enough? I don't know. Well, it's not, it's, it's not good enough right away. It, it never is mm-hmm. for anybody. You know, uh, as I said, it took me 20 years. Um, my advice is to, to write every day, to carve out. Okay. To, the best best advice I got from my mentor, Reynolds Price, a wonderful writer uh, from Durham, North Carolina. He said, if you want to be a writer, you have to sit down at the same time of day every day, five to six days a week, and generate about the same amount of words. It's a physical process. And I did that. And that's how you train yourself to write. So as a cook, you have to find out when, I mean, as a cook, you often have later hours. So you have the morning work for free. So if you can carve out two hours every day to write anything. Uh, Write an essay about being a line cook. Um, Write an essay about the dishes you're doing. Uh, Write uh, an essay about the the people that you work with or the purveyors or just sort of keep a record. Maybe keep a daily food journal or a cooking journal. Um, And again, it's, it's, you know, Malcolm Gladwell said you've got to do something 10,000 hours before, you know, you're an expert at it. You're good enough at it. Uh, it's yeah. a matter of sitting down and doing the work. There's no shortcut. There's no trick. You, know, you just have to do it. You have to have. To, and I'm convinced that you don't need any special gift to do it. Um, okay. Some people are gifted. David Foster Wallace was a genius and um, an amazing writer. But for the most part, writing is a craft that you can learn and get good at. Certainly serviceable uh, work in nonfiction writing about food. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I actually just finished Outliers by uh, Gladwell. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting book yeah good book i enjoyed that so uh your book got me ready for school in a lot of ways uh did you realize the impact it would have on uh future students of the cia or how far did you think it would reach oh i i had no idea had no clue no. i was just trying to put food on the table okay uh, um you know so i finished that book and i finished that book in four months because we were going to run out of money and you, you, it's really you can't write a book. I thought in four months it just takes too long, and and uh, but I didn't think like that anymore because I, I I had that snowstorm experience, and you get there, you do it. So I figured out how many words per day I needed to write, and how many days I needed to do it, and um, figured out how to write that book in four months. But then I was finished and didn't have anything to do, and I couldn't sell another book, and I couldn't. Um, uh, pay the bills with freelance in Cleveland. And uh, so got by June, we were running out of money. And I thought to myself, well, you scammed a free education. You can get work as a cook. 
And <laughs> I went out to a woman named Susie Heller in the Sticks of Cleveland at her barbecue joint called Sticks because I knew she was well-connected in the chef world. And mm. I said, I'm going to get a job as a cook and I want to work for the best chef in the, uh, in the city, in Cleveland. And I showed her what I'd done. I showed her my boys' school book. I showed her the catalog copy for the making of a chef that was coming out. And she said, oh, my God, Michael, I'm working with Thomas Keller at the French Laundry and we're looking for a writer. Really? And wow. yeah, I, uh, I, I think I just, I froze, I shuddered. I couldn't hear or see anything. This was, you know, Thomas Keller was the most, among chefs, was the most respected chef in the country. Uh, yeah. And he was the monk out in Yonville. Uh, chefs knew him. The country didn't know him as they know him today, but he was doing things yeah. nobody else was doing. And so suddenly to be an unemployed, I'd never published anything nationally on food. So I was broke, unknown writer, unemployed, looking for a cook's job. I go out to a barbecue restaurant in the middle of Ohio, and I basically walk out with tickets to the French Laundry to work with Thomas Cower on the French Laundry cookbook. Now, that's yeah, if that's not a, if that's not God saying, <laughs> I know you want to write novels, Michael, but you're good at this, and I'm sending you here because it's, it's too unlikely. Yeah, and what was, how was your time at the French Laundry in writing that book? It was transformative. Um, it was great. I spent a month out there living in Keller's house and interviewing his purveyors and hanging out in the kitchen and watching the cooking and watching the care with which he ran his business and his kitchen and the way he treated food and all his thoughts. We got along really well. And I, you know, I learned what all those basics that I'd learned at the Culinary Institute, I learned what you could do with them if you took them to their farthest reaches. Uh, mm -hmm. So I had both then, I came out of uh, the French Laundry, working on the French Laundry cookbook, with not only a culinary education, but then experience working with the best chef at, at the time and still considered to be one of the best restaurants in the world, uh, I had an extraordinary amount of knowledge. And also because mm -hmm. I worked with Thomas, I had entree into any kitchen I wanted to go to. It gave me a lot of credibility in the industry. Then making him a chef mm -hmm. came out, French Laundry came out, and, um, and then I wrote Soul of a Chef. Okay. So I, and, I kept writing about it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you wrote Soul of a Chef and The Reach of a Chef. Why why expand on that, like, I don't know, series? I don't know if you consider them a series or? Uh, it's a trilogy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, making of a Chef, Soul of a Chef, Reach of a Chef. I, well, the short answer was I needed another book idea. And okay. when Michael Simon, a local chef in Cleveland, won a Best Food and Wine, Best Chef of the Year, uh, a Rising Star Award, um, uh, I had a Cleveland angle so I could do part of my work from Cleveland. I just, I had so many notes. I reported the hell out of the French laundry cookbook. So I had a whole section on, on Thomas and, and I had also, I'd gone and followed, um, I'd gotten an assignment from the New York times magazine to write about the certified master chef exam. Mm -hmm. Um, that was eventually published in food arts and won a James Beard award. Um, but that was an extraordinary 10 day cooking test. And I knew I had a story there. So I had these three stories that all told stories about American chefs at different levels for different reasons, different personalities. And I thought I might have a book here and, uh, that became soul of a chef. Okay. And when you, so you have these experiences and you go through all these stories and whatnot. Um, how do you like expand on them? I feel like whenever I try writing, I feel like I, like I just talk about points too quick. Like I just don't put enough on the page. <laughs> You obviously take a lot of notes, but how do you kind of expand and develop all these stories so that they're chapters and, you know, an actual book instead of just a couple of like letters or 
recountings of things, I guess. Well, you just keep writing. Uh, yeah, right. I record. I, I take lots of notes. I'm a, I, I keep my eyes open. I watch. I listen. You know, the most important part of being a writer is being a great observer. Okay. Observe other people. You can't just think of. You can't just say, "I've got everything in my own head." It's it, writing is about looking outward, not not necessarily looking inward. Even if it is writing about self, that that it's got to be an outward looking self. Uh, and so, in order to have a book, you have to have the material. So you write one page a day, and if you do that for a year, you'll have a you'll have a manuscript that you can go back and spend the next year revising and turning into a cohesive narrative. Okay, maybe. Yeah, but that's how that's, it happens. Okay, so just be observant, uh, be aware. All right, and, um, and write every day. So, you know, write 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 one typed page every day. Okay, will do. What um, it, it was it hard to observe chefs, or is it hard to like get more out of chefs? Because I, I know a lot of chefs can be very like closed off, or at least like when they're working, it's very hard to like not talk to them, but break through to more deep things because they're so focused on everything that they have going on. Did you find it harder or easier to kind of get what you needed in terms of writing and putting their ideas on the page? Um, I found it very easy. I mean, I knew what I was talking about. And so we spoke the language of a kitchen. And when, when they know that you know what mirepoix is or what Bermagnier is, you know, they're more likely to tell you stories when you work with people. That's true of heart surgeons and boat builders. When you work beside them, they tell you their stories, mm. their, their particular vernacular. Um, and you have to know when to talk to chef. I mean, you, you don't want to talk to chef in the middle of service. <laughs> It's no. obvious. So, um, you know, so you wait till four o'clock to talk to him or after the evening's done when he's having a beer or a glass of wine relaxing after after a long night service and they feel like they can open up. So you have to know when to get people when when people will be open to, you know, s s thoughtful conversation. OK. And when did the um, what, so your book Reach of a Chef? When did that idea start forming? That started forming uh, after both the Wooden Boat book and the uh, Surgeon book. And I need another book. And the whole chef world had changed. His chefs had, be had become bona fide celebrities. They were talking about exit strategies. They were talking about television and media. The their whole world, the whole chef world, was transforming. I thought I'd take a look at the ways in which it was transforming by covering like the modernist cuisine via Grant Ackett's uh, seeing, mm -hmm. seeing where T Thomas had gone over the past, you know, in 10 years from, from chef of French Laundry to chef of multiple restaurants in a growing restaurant empire, talking to Rachel Hay yeah. on, on TV and Emil Lagasse, who were media stars, uh, going out and exploring Vegas and that whole sh movement out in Vegas where they suddenly became a, a food m mecca, albeit a very expensive one. Uh, and yes. I thought... I, you know, and so I, I wrote. That's what I do. I write books. Okay, nice. Have you thought about doing one um, on maybe like social media or I guess what how chefs are perceived perceived nowadays because of the influence that someone like a chef on social media can have? I don't know. Is that an idea you've ever thought of writing about or not really? Um, I, I'm watching it happen. It's transforming. I mean go from Facebook to Insta uh, to Twitter to now Instagram seems like the dominant platform for expressing ideas and sharing uh, food images. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm kind of watching to see how things transform. Everything's changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing my own books. I've got a, we, we just published a, uh, my partner in charcuterie, um, Brian Polson. We just published our third book together, Pate Confit Riette. 
you know, Congratulations. Deeper, a deeper look into charcuterie, the craft of charcuterie. And I have my own book, uh, cookbook coming out in the fall called From Scratch, uh, 10 Meals, 150 Recipes and, and Techniques. And uh, I'm excited about that. I haven't had my own cookbook come out in, in a while. And it, it basically, it, it, you know, I'm always interested in teaching and, um, and I've always been interested in technique because if you know a technique, you know a thousand recipes. If you know a recipe, you know one recipe. So this um, book looks at 10 meals like roast chicken, steak frites, lasagna, cassoulet, uh, the BLT sandwich, profiteroles, 10 meals and all that you can learn from each of those meals. Uh, so that's okay. book coming out in the fall. Yeah, obviously I have to. I'll be. I have to get that. Yes, um, you will. <laughs> I enjoy your writing. So, um, how did you get into like the like the books on eggs and charcuterie? Uh, like, what made you go into more like detailed? I mean, obviously maybe the answer is to write more books. But what made you go into like those more like detailed parts of our industry, like charcuterie and the ingredient of the egg? Like, what interested you about that? Um... Well, you've you've passed the you've passed the the first part of the um, question already. The first part of the answer already. I, I wrote what about what interested me. You know, I okay. I love duck confit, love it. You know, the idea of this rich fatty meat that you season with salt and and aromats, and you poach this fatty meat in more duck fat, and you let it ripen in that fat, and then you pull it out of that fat and you crisp it up in the oven, and you've got the best duck on the planet. Something so good. Um, and then when I realized that we didn't create this, human beings didn't create duck confit to please ourselves. We created it to stay alive. This is a way, this is a method of preservation um, that just happens to be so good. We keep doing it now because it flavors so good, even though we don't need it to stay alive anymore because we have refrigeration and 24-hour food. Uh, but mm. I thought about what other foods do we create that are still so good uh, that we still make them? Um and I found a whole, the whole world of charcuterie is founded on that idea and the idea of preservation. So I called my friend Brian, whom I'd written about in Solvachef and in Food Arts Magazine. He was teaching charcuterie at Schoolcraft College in Livonia, Michigan, and said, do you want to write a book together on charcuterie? You're an expert and I'm hungry for knowledge. So uh, we did it. So I did that book to explore a, a subject that I didn't know anything about. I write books okay. because I don't know anything about it. Um, because I'm curious about something. Um, so that's why I did that. Um, I did Romans 20, uh, 20 techniques, 100 recipes, uh, a cook's manifesto, because, um, again, my, my love of technique and craft. And I was sitting with a editor, food editor from Chronicle Books at a food conference. We were having a cocktail after the day's um, um, panels. And he said, my cooking's not getting any better, Michael. And I looked at him and said, Bill, there's only like 20 things you need to know in order to cook anything. And he looked at me, his <laughs> eyes got wide. He pointed, his, jabbed his finger at me and said, that's a book. And, uh, and so that's how Romans 20 came about. When I was doing okay. Romans 20, one of the, one of the, it was a collection of foods and techniques that, uh, that, you know, salt isn't a technique, but salting is a technique and a very important one. Um, the egg is a fundamental ingredient in the kitchen. Um, mm -hmm. And when I was trying to come up with five different ways to showcase the egg, I was just over, overwhelmed with the number of things you could do with an egg. I couldn't pick five recipes, which I had been doing for all the other 20 techniques. Um, there were just so many things. Well, you can separate the egg and then what can you do with the white and what can you do with the yolk? You can cook it in its shell. You can cook it out of its shell. 
Um, you can blend it. You can cook it whole. It, it leavens things. It enriches. There are just so many things. And I thought, wow. I tried to write them all down. I made a flow chart um, of all the things you could do with an egg. Cook it whole. Cook it separate. Mm-hmm. Cook it in a shell. Cook it out of shell. There's a big flow chart um, with 100 different preparations on it. And I used that scroll of paper as my book proposal. Um and so I was just fascinated by all the egg can do. It's a miracle of nutrition and economy and deliciousness and practicality in the kitchen that when I was growing up were considered bad for you, which is crazy. Yeah, that's what uh, my grandma always tells me to watch my how many eggs I eat. Um, you can eat yeah. as many eggs as your body will craves. Your body, when when yeah. your body's had too much eggs, it'll tell you. Yeah, definitely. Um I'm just talking to you right now. I mean, have you ever thought of doing a podcast? I mean, I feel like you would be a good at it. Um, I, am, going into I am working on a podcast right now, um, developing awesome. one for iHeartMedia on on cooking. There's not much on cooking there, so we're actually going to cook with chefs and talk about cooking and talk with non-experts uh, because I because I, I, I want to show how food is connected to so many things that we don't always think of being connected. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're in the early stages of a podcast that I hope will start uh, that will start broadcasting in the fall. Awesome! Yeah, whenever you uh, get that information, I'll share it on my page and platforms. Well, I'd be grateful. Whatever you need, but um, why? Uh, I, I mean, so you're going to be cooking on the podcast. Why do you think that'll be? Or why do you think like people will, like really tune into it? I think it'd be cool because you said you're going to maybe bring in people who aren't experts, but are you hoping to reach an audience of cooks an audience of people who don't cook or kind of a mix of, of all of well, that? I, my goal is to uh, have an audience of people who love food and cooking. Uh, want, want okay. more information, whether it's from chefs, whether it's how to, how to poach an egg. Um, and I don't, I just don't, I don't think there's been any good cooking podcast, but I think it's rich. I don't think that we need necessarily, uh, to see it happen, but I think the sounds of cooking are great, and descriptions of it are are valuable. And if it mm-hmm. if it could be combined with the website that also gave images of the stuff that's been cooked, then we have the whole package. Yeah, it's a really good idea. Um, I, yeah, I honestly don't know of many podcasts that people actually cook on, so that'll be an interesting um, couple. That'll be an interesting podcast to tune we into. We shall see. Yeah, good, well, good luck with it. Um, I'm excited for that. Uh, what about, I mean, I know you said you have a couple more books coming out. Do you ever think you'd write another, um, book for like the making of a chef series or, or the trilogy or do you think that now more? We'll see. I don't know. My last nonfiction book was about groceries and where our food comes from. It's called grocery, the buying and selling of food in America. Cause that's where we get most okay. of our food, but nobody really knows where it all comes from or how we can get so much of it. It told us yeah. stuff. So I'll always be writing about food and cooking in some fashion. I like to write about non-food stuff. Um, you know, I published my own fiction a couple of years ago, some novellas. Um, I think it's good to get away from food to keep you fresh because I think you get okay. burned out writing about only food. Okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, I got to go to California last summer um, as my last semester at the CIA. And just seeing all the produce and where everything comes from, uh, we went to this artichoke field. And as far as the eye could see, it was just artichokes and seeing the people who collect our food and how it gets shipped over uh, to the East coast. Um, it definitely was eye opening. So good I don't know. I, that's good. That's good to know. It's good to see. It's important. Yeah. Important um, I was able to do everything. Really. Important for cooks, people working in the food industry to know where our food comes from. Yes, I totally agree. Um, I don't know if you, are you, if you know who Douglas Hayes is at all. I do not. 
All right, he's a farmer out in California. Um, he basically raises these buckeye chickens. Uh, they're a breed of chicken that he uh, was responsible for saving. And huh. probably one of the most eye-opening lessons for me as a cook is we actually went to his sanctuary, which he calls it because he has like a high respect for the animals, and we learned how to process them. You know, taking the chicken's life, uh, plucking the feathers off, cleaning them, and then eventually cooking them for a meal for our class. So oh, that whole the whole process, it's important to kill an animal, and so you know what you do, how it feels to take the life of uh, another living creature that you're going to eat. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. That's yeah. great that you did that. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I definitely agree with you on all those topics, and. I don't know. I mean, I hope my podcast in some way helps get the word out there. And I hope someone picks up a book of yours, maybe if they've never heard of you, uh, which I highly doubt because mo- almost everyone I've told who cooks was very excited that you're going to be on this. Uh, you have a lot of fans um, from the CIA, so well, they're all excited to hear this. I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but before you get going, I just wanted to know what food excites you now, maybe some restaurants uh, that are exciting you and also just some like general dishes that you're really into or maybe some cultures? Well, we're, you know, I'm uh, right now I'm heading, the reason why I got to run is I'm heading up to per se in uh, at time Warner center in Manhattan because I'm working on a kind of the last French laundry cookbook. French laundry now includes the four star per se uh, restaurant, um, uh, Michelin three star restaurant in Manhattan. And I'm fascinated by their foods and, and, you know, we're using a lot of, uh, different ingredients, different techniques, different tools. Like you've got these combi ovens now that are doing the work of what sous vide used to do five years ago. So things are changing. They've got all kinds of hydrocolides, so-called, which are basically just anything that thickens water uh, or gels water. Um, those mm-hmm. new chemicals that were sort of left over from the modernist movement uh, that are still valuable on contemporary cooking. So I'm excited about the contemporary cooking that I'm watching happening at these two exciting restaurants. Okay. And uh, are there any books that have come out that you really like enjoyed or that you would recommend reading for cooks? Um, you know, the last, the last uh, book I read uh, is Ruth Reichel's most recent memoir about her final days of gourmet. And it's a, it's a fa- fabulous read um, because she's such a terrific writer, but it's also important for cooks to see how the media acts, uh, what's important about food, food issues, uh, I think she brings up a lot of important uh, important things that, that cooks today need to think about and need to know. From this, one of the, the finest writers of food and cooking and uh, editors that, that we have. So I would say um, Save Me the Plums by Ruth Reichel as much. Save Me the Plums. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely have to pick that one up as well. Well, like I said, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I know our time was short. Um, I would love to have you on again, maybe after you launch the podcast. I would love to hear the stories of how it went in terms of recording and whatnot. Um, yeah, let's do that. Other topics. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, is there anything? I mean, I ask every guest before they leave, I ask. Um, so, basically, what I started is I've called the Listener's Line Cook Nation, uh, just a bunch of cooks who want to be more knowledgeable about our industry. And I was just wondering what it meant for you to be a part of. Uh, the Lion Cook Nation, now that you've been on the show. Well, I love it. You know, I've always said that I think that um, one of the best things that could happen in America is that everybody had to be learn to be a cook first because it teaches you so much about how to live your life, how to be organized, how to be responsible, how to be part of a team, how to take tech, tackle challenges that seem insurmountable, how to insurmount and adapt and change. Uh, there's so much you learn from working a line. Uh, so that's why I'm grateful to have been a part of this world. 
Well, like I said, thank you for being on. And uh, just if there was one piece of advice for, I, I have a lot of friends getting into food media and I know some of them are not getting discouraged, but it's challenging for them because it's such a broad thing to get into right now, but they're really passionate about it. What's one advice, piece of advice you would give to someone young who's trying to get into food media? Uh, again, just write. Write well, write, write about stuff that they care about and that others care about. Be able to convey your own passion about food directly to strangers. Think about who, who doesn't know me is going to be interested. What stranger will be interested in what I have to say? If you can answer that, then right. you're, you're halfway there. All right, awesome. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, Ray. Well, before we close this podcast out, just a quick uh, ad from Anchor, the app that I use to create these podcasts and submit out to y'all. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So there you have it, the interview with Michael Roman. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Um, this really is something special for me to do thank you michael for being on the show once again it was an honor and it was a pleasure um definitely someone i look up to a lot so thank you so much for coming on um this wednesday the podcast is all good it's going to be all about escoffier uh so if you don't know i want to start a new a couple new podcasts here there where i research some important people in our industry and give you the story on them and the first person i thought of was escoffier because he was pretty much one of the biggest reasons why we cook the way we do today uh in terms of organization and stations and you know there's so much more i can't wait to share it with you i've done a lot of research on it um you know online i have his book uh it's it's been a lot of fun researching chef escoffier he's definitely an interesting character so uh feel free to check it out this wednesday also please feel free to um send in your anthony bourdain uh comments send in why anthony bourdain meant a lot to you it's a minute long just send it in via the link in my instagram bio and you will be a part of the episode that I'll be releasing on June 8th to commemorate Anthony Bourdain. Thank you all so much for listening this week, and we'll see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast.